My name is Abby, and I'm the voice behind the Evolving Love Project. In this podcast, my husband and I deep dive into the topics of non-monogamy and polyamory, drawing from our experiences from the last eight years of being consensually non-monogamous. My name is Liam. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, curious, or anything in between, we invite you to join the conversation. Let's begin. In today's episode, we discuss a recent UK Vogue article on polyamory. Are people as monogamous as they claim to be? Monopoly relationships, the importance of sexual health and testing, and whether new relationship energy is always a positive. Here we are for our next podcast episode, which we've been very keen to record. Our last episode, we, we had a bit of a gap in between episodes, so we're trying to pick up the pick up the pace. Yeah, we did. We've had a very busy last month and a little bit, um, but we have more time opening up now. So we're excited to to be recording more conversations with people coming up and also get a chance to have a, have a little one-on-one podcast chat as well. Yeah, so good. I love our one-on-one podcast chat. It's been a great week too. We had our conversation evening on Monday night, which is in person and always such a wonderful discussion. I think... I'm just always feeling so full of energy and so happy and full after the conversation evenings. They're just really special. Yeah, it was a really beautiful collection of people who who were really open with sharing and sharing, um, you know, about their journeys. We always put it open to anyone that if they feel comfortable to share, then it's a really safe and welcoming space to kind of talk about what they're going through um, with their approach to non-monogamy. And, and some people are, are kind of veterans of the scene. You know, they've, they've been um, open in their relationships. I think there are a few couples there who've been open for more than 10 years. And then some people um, were kind of just really dipping their toes into exploring just the concepts around uh, non-monogamy and and uh, but it's a really beautiful environment for people just to be able to share and just to feel safe in 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 that space mm. and I love that yeah as you said you know people who are newer as well to to understanding this way of thinking and relating I love that there are also monogamous people who come along and they really appreciate you know even if they're not opening up their relationship what they appreciate from it is the radical honesty and vulnerable sharing and even if they're not going to practice non-monogamy you know being in that space where they can have these conversations and listen to other people's stories um, you know it's really wonderful that they come and get amongst it as well so it's not just for open people. But I will say there was a funny moment that happened uh, when <laughs> when people were arriving. So it's a, it's a private uh, event. Um, it's not, you know, open to the public. I don't advertise it, um, you know, on our website or anything. If people want to come along, we have to have a connection with them or it has to be somebody through a friend. We let people know that we run them and we have let people come who we don't personally know, but we would have like a FaceTime with them beforehand or whatnot. But people who are bringing somebody who have already been to the nights, we feel comfortable to let them bring somebody. So we don't always know everybody who's coming along. And yeah, got a bit of a shock when somebody arrived and I actually knew them from life outside of this world, mm. uh, but they hadn't made the connection that it was me because they, they're they not on social media and they haven't listened to the podcast or, uh, you know, have been on the page or anything. They just found out through a friend of theirs because they're also in this scene. And yeah, that was a really funny moment because I had just seen them the day before 
in a very different context, very regular, normal context. And then they walked through the door and we just had that moment of, hey, <laughs> it's really funny. Well, I mean, it's, it's a pleasant reminder that you never know, you know, you never know who is who is interested in exploring these in, in their life. And and uh, if, if these conversations were normalized even more, maybe that had, would have come up in previous discussions. It's, uh, you, you know, as you meet people walking through life, you, you know, potentially uh, they could be exploring the same type of thing. Absolutely. I mean, you, you really never know. I think they were very surprised that it was me that was the person for you know with you facilitating this event and I was surprised that they were coming to attend so it was really lovely and also to connect in that more authentic way as well and a more a more vulnerable way sort of really seeing somebody for who they are or their beliefs or this and that it was really cool Mm. Yeah, that one has had me smiling and giggling on a couple of occasions since Monday night. And it is a really fantastic thing to be able to to have that space um, happen, not just online as well, because you have this beautiful community on, on Instagram where people are feeling comfortable to share some thoughts and, and lots of private messages to you as well. Uh, but to have the space where we can gather in person, it's a really beautiful and powerful thing that I think is is just so important. And as we're, we're kind of moving away from um, some of the more COVID online specific type things, uh, to be able to have those meeting spaces in real life to, to be able to share vulnerably uh, is just a really beautiful thing. So what else has been going on? We've got our Patreon, which we want to talk a little bit about. Some people have messaged me and being like, what actually is a Patreon? What is this all about? Uh, so Patreon is a way to support creatives like podcasters, musicians, um, different people who are creating content for people to consume. And I guess the way that it works is people can, uh, they sign up to become like a member of our, of my, our, my, my, our. Yeah, our community. Yeah, our yeah. Patreon community. And for different price brackets, you sort of get, you know, different things are unlocked for you. So we have been starting to do these webinars. So they're like our podcast, you know, where you listen and hear, except we're on video. So you can actually see our reactions. Um, you know, it's a live podcast. So you would log in live to, you know, you know when it's happening, you can log in and watch it. You can also um, message in questions. So you're not in the video. It's not like a Zoom where you're a part of that. It's like you're watching us, but you can message us and we answer questions in real time. And for our Patreon community, they also get to then, if they can't watch it as it happens, it's saved to the wall. So you can watch it. And then there are different tiers. There is more extended writing that I share. There is more erotic writing that I share. There's our photography vault uh, for our, you know, lovely photos that you take. Of me. Lots of photos. Lots of photos. Um, you know, all very artistic. And that's a really f um, wonderful outlet that we really have always enjoyed having. Yeah, and we and we do really appreciate. We've had um, you know people signing up and and just expressing that they wanted to to kind of support us in this journey and exploring um, these these topics and and through our different ways that you creatively express yourself um, through art and through writing. And it's yeah, it's just a really uh, we we've been really um, surprised and pleasantly uh, pleasantly surprised by the the lovely reception and, and people who are who are just um, you know keen to support. So so thank you to those who have supported. 
supported and we invite you to to check it out if you would like to support us further but we we do have uh we do have something that we were really interested in discussing in this particular episode yeah. Well, before we do that, I think the structure of this episode, we put out a little uh, questionnaire asking people if they had anything that they would like us to talk about specifically. So we've had a bunch of responses for that. So we will be asking, we will be answering those questions. But first of all, we want to discuss something that has come to our attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly, so a friend, um, an online friend that we met online. Years ago. Years ago. Years and years ago through Reddit, actually. Yeah. Um, this this awesome, uh, awesome gentleman and his wife. And we've, we you know, you've chatted with him lots and, and you have these great conversations about um, non-monogamy and, and I've chatted with his wife and, and they're just absolutely lovely people. And they live, whereabouts do they live? In They live in Oklahoma. Or, or Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he reached out to you and said, you have to check out this article because I'd love to know what you think about it. And it's a new article that has just come out in British Vogue. Um, it's scathing. Oh, my brutal. goodness. It's absolutely scathing. So the article... Just to clarify, I'm not sure whether this has come out in uh, the print edition of British Vogue or whether it's just an online article. Um, but if you if you do Google the title that Abby is about to read, you will be able to find it, no doubt. Um, so would you like to share with yes. us the title? Yes. So the title is, When Did Calling Yourself Polyamorous Become an Excuse for Terrible Behaviour? And it is written by Alexandra Jones. And the first paragraph is, With apps such as Field taking over the dating sphere in London and beyond, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy are suddenly part of the common polance. But, asks writer Alexandra Jones, have these newfound labels become just another way to avoid taking accountability for other people's feelings? Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, and so the article... Obviously, we're not going to read out the whole the whole article, but it's she. This woman, you know, she's writing from her lived experience. She says quite early on that she has had bad experiences with um, ethical non monogamy. I think it is important to uh, also identify the fact that this is a journalist. Yes. So she is also writing uh, under the gaze of. Um, you know, writing for an, a specific audience. And some of the the language that she uses might be more antagonistic than, uh, you know, uh, to, to try and elicit these responses um, from an audience, from a readership. Uh, so, you know, potentially we, one has to give her a uh, uh, kind of a wide berth in terms of her um, creative expression with with explaining some of this stuff uh, because certainly it elicited an, a response within us. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't stop reading it. I was standing there just scrolling and scrolling going, oh my goodness, no. Well, it's beautifully written as well. <laughs> it, it's, it's a beautifully yeah, written article. It's a great article. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So first of all, I think, should we talk a little bit about uh, – the labeling with ethical non-monogamy and consensual non-monogamy. I've started to drop the consensual non-monogamy. The consensual, when I say consensual non-monogamy, now I just say non-monogamy because, you know, we don't go around saying that monogamy is ethical or consensual. It's sort of an assumption, you know. We we hope for the best, and I think you know in these polyamorous non-monogamous spaces as well. 
it's sort of, what do you think about it? I feel like it's it's really defensive in that it by putting the ethical or the, the consensual in front, it's quite defensive because it immediately makes you think about infidelity. It's sort of your mind goes to that. It's like, oh, but it's not cheating because it's, you know, it's consensual. It's consensual. And I feel like it's very different to cheating. It's really nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's just a different relationship structure. And also by having something, say, ethical in front of it, it's like you can't broadly, you can't put that in front of a relationship structure because, Mm. you know, anything ethical or consensual comes down to the people within those relationships. And that goes for monogamy as well. I know of many monogamous relationships that, in my opinion, haven't been super ethical, you know, there are things that I've seen and witnessed and heard and thought, oh, you know, don't know about that. But, you know, that's to do with the people involved. That's not the whole of monogamy, you know. So I'm just scrapping it now. Mm. I'm not saying anything about consensual well, well, or ethical. Using, using that word before, you know, before saying uh, non-monogamy, I feel like it's it's almost defending against an argument that you expect to be coming up. You know, it's, it's kind mm. of implying that if you say uh, non-monogamy, someone's going to go, oh, well, isn't that just kind of cheating, but using a different, different kind of terminology? And it's almost saying, well, actually, it is ethical, just so you know. It's ethical non-monogamy. Um, and and, and it, does, it does feel like almost a barrier to, to prevent someone from, from having that initial kind of negative response to the, to the word or the words non-monogamy. Mm. Also catering a little bit to the monogamous listener, like it's a real softener for them, mm. but not really necessary because whatever is going on in the relationship is up to the people. And it's important that uh, that one can feel like they can change the way we uh, linguistically frame these different topics as well. Because we have obviously said ethical non-monogamy forever. E&M, we said consensual non-monogamy uh, for a long time as well. Uh, so it is tricky to be able to to have to uh, retroactively go, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't have said that. And uh, we, I don't think we're going to be going through every article and every podcast we've recorded and editing out every time we've made reference to it. Uh, but it, it's, it's a good thing to be able to, to look at it and, and say, oh, there's, there's problems with, with that kind of linguistic framing of the words and, and just uh, take a new tact moving forward. For sure. We want to be updated. Updated. Yeah. So, so consider this the moment that we attempt to uh, update our firmware. <laughs> yeah, there, there is no final, final word or point with this stuff. It's just constantly an evolution. So in terms of the way this article is framed, it's framed straight out of the gate as presenting polyamory as incredibly problematic, using it, you know, saying that people have co-opted that word polyamory for use uh, just to kind of hide all manner of, of different ethical sins, um, so to speak. So it's a really strong lead straight out of the <laughs> gate uh, to really guide a, a listener or, or I guess the, the, the reader in this situation uh, to have an assumption about um, polyamorous behavior or non-monogamy uh, and really frame it in a way that is, is, is quite negative, uh, you know, from the outset. Yeah, I felt personally attacked. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then super drawn to reading it and going, what is going, what is going to happen in this mm. article? 
Yeah, but a few interesting points. Yeah, talking about co-opting these labels, you know, ethically non-monogamous, polyamorous, and that people, a lot of people are jumping on board with these labels and starting to identify them without really understanding the theories behind them. And that's what Leanne Yu talks about in the article. She's somebody who they get on. She runs a big uh, polyamorous platform called Polyphilia Blog, which we absolutely we love. love we love it. Yeah, we, we love that. So she comes on in defense. Um, and, it, and it is really interesting. And it, and it is something that I think we have also noticed a little bit with people like pol- people want to identify as polyamorous when things are all going very well. And then sometimes when it gets a little bit tricky, people can be quite quick to um, throw it away. Mm. Uh, I've, I've, you know, the label away and maybe revert, revert back to monogamy. Um, I've had an interesting situation where I have like, once I had a partner and he wasn't very experienced with non-monogamous relationships, but he really liked me a lot and he really liked you a lot. And so we're all sort of like, yep, let's give it a go. And even though he didn't really have much, um, experience in this area, we were like, yep, great. Because there were a lot of uh, positives that we felt like we could, um, you know, go with and work through. And, uh, you know, I think he sort of uh, fell on his, landed on his feet a little bit because he was dating me and then he started dating somebody else. And I think, you know, I was very warming and welcoming to her. And so we all, all of a sudden, he basically found himself in a polyamorous situation because his new girlfriend really liked me a lot. And so we were all sort of getting along and it was all great. And then when him and I parted ways, I think then it became this thing where he's now in a relationship with her. She's now the one partner that he would have and sort of probably, you know, you, you're really sort of up against it then because it's sort of opening up in a new way of you then have to bring in new people into a relationship, which actually takes a lot of work. Like you being polyamorous, like your experience of polyamory by that point and his experience with polyamory were very different because you've done all of your work with compersion and metamors and um, understanding the delicacy with, you know, how delicate things are with, um, you know, multiple person relationships. And, you know, it can be easier when you're a new person coming in. You don't have to sort of do as much work. Um, so I thought that was really an interesting one. And I'm not sure now, but I assume they're probably monogamous because there's a lot of work involved with opening up. I think a lot of people can revert back. Mm. Yeah, well, in, in that situation, it's it's a, it's an interesting situation because it was kind of polyamorous by chance. You know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, this particular partner was very open-minded to, to get into a situation uh, with us where, you know, there was romantic involvement with you and then I was uh, his metamore and I was super welcoming and, and that, that had been an experience that I had had with lots of your partners in the past. So, I like you were saying, I'd done a lot of work and he uh, found himself in a situation that was, was great for him because he wasn't having to kind of really manage, you know, some of the things that might be an issue with someone who's opening up for the first time in terms of a metamore 
bit of more relationship. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, like you were saying, you know, the, the, the kind of work that comes with these open relationships, um, you know, that gradually unfolds. And, and sometimes really that can only come, it's not even necessarily work. It's just about experience. Mm. You know, we, we've just done this for quite a while now, you know, for, you know, eight, eight or so years. Um, and then uh, naturally within that time, a lot of these, uh, a lot of different situations, a lot of just novel situations come up and we're able to, to see what happens in those situations, go, oh, that was good, that was bad, you know, potentially maybe we won't, um, we'll do it differently next time. And, uh, and, and we're given the benefit of that experience when we're approaching new situations. Whereas in, in that particular situation with that partner, um, they uh, just through uh, lack of experience just didn't have as much of a reference point and as much of a framing point. And who knows, maybe in the future that particular partner might be involved in, you know, polyamorous relationships uh, and the, their relationship uh, that they're now in might might kind of morph into that because there's also that natural sense that uh, and we were talking about this at the conversation evening actually uh, was that kind of initial NRE can be so all-consuming that you actually stop looking for for other partners mm-hmm. uh, and, and the fact that he was in that uh, that new relationship and kind of you know uh, just very focused on on that particular relationship you know maybe uh, Maybe that might change, you know, um, as things progress. Yeah, who knows? I mean, relationships are complicated, beautiful, moving, changing, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But it's an interesting one. You know, I think when we talk about, you know, the work behind, it's, you know, as you said, it's so much of it was experience with our own experience. But I think a lot of it was also just we've sort of been moving through these social circles for quite a while. So we it's also just from what we've witnessed from other people as well. Like we sort of have learned from uh, witnessing a lot of different relationship dynamics and polyamorous relationships and, and whatnot. So yeah, different experience in that way. But I will say one of the, one of the other things which made me think about in that situation was there was actually quite a, a lack of compersion um, and I don't, and I think that was because there didn't necessarily need to be that compersion because there was no situation where there were new partners coming on board for that partner to have to um, be in a situation where they were then fostering compersion. And yeah, it was a funny one. I remember having a chat with him and sort of talking about the future or potential different partners or something. And he sort of said, oh, I'd never actually thought about you with other partners I sort of thought that you know you're with me and you're with Liam so I'd never had to think about that and I would imagine that would be quite difficult and I think that was sort of the the moment when I realized that it felt like I was almost in two monogamous relationships Mm. because for us one of the big things that we love about non-monogamy is the unknown the openness the possibility for connection so you know it's sort of we're not um into like closed um polyamory or anything like that so yeah that was an interesting one for me that was like oh this could potentially be quite tricky um if somebody's not quite naturally compersive because I think for anybody to be with you or me they would really have to have um ability to tap into compersion yeah. or else they probably just wouldn't wouldn't feel good being with us 
Yeah, yeah. And it's just a compatibility issue, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it just comes down to, you know, um it, to, to, to lock into a relationship with us or to, to have these experiences with us in a way that interacts with our relationship dynamic, you know, there, there are um, more compatible uh, kind of approaches to that. And yeah, it just came down to a compatibility issue. And, and they're an awesome person and, and uh, you know, have, have great feelings towards them. Uh, but uh, it was, it just came down to, yeah, just uh, the, the circle peg in a square hole. That's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but I want to jump back to this uh, this Vogue article because there's there's some great stuff in here, and I want to read uh, a, another excerpt for us to because I'm interested to know what what you think about this, babe. Uh, so here goes. Uh, for far too long, all I have heard is horror stories. Friends, almost always women, unmoored by the dynamics in these in quotation marks relationships. Nowadays, says Wit, you see the term ethically non-monogamous on someone's profile, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the person will behave ethically or articulate what these ethics mean. More often, it's like they're making a pronouncement. Play at your own risk. I'm not going to take any emotional responsibility for you. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Well, like we just said, just because it says ethical doesn't mean that it is ethical. Um, you know, I think, you know, it does, uh, yeah, absolutely comes down to the people involved. But one of the, another part in the article, which that makes me think of is where the woman, uh, I think Alexandra Jones writes about how she connected with a man who was non-monogamous and, you know, had a primary partner and they, they were chatting and together and then they, I think they slept together. And then at about two o'clock in the morning, he said to her, well, I'm, I'm going to go home now because one of the boundaries with my primary partner is that I don't have sleepovers. So I'm going home. And in the article, she writes about how she felt sort of distressed or used or, you know, that wasn't discussed with her beforehand. Well, I think that was her, her point was that they'd had lots of discussions about boundaries, but at no point had he mentioned, this is actually a boundary of mine. And so she felt that in the moment where it two o'clock they just had sex and then he goes oh actually you know this is actually a boundary I think it was kind of a, a lack of communication on his end as well uh, about the boundary potentially absolutely mm. yeah yeah definitely and I can totally see how she would have felt really you know shocked by that uh, because I guess probably in regular monogamous or or what do they call it? Single and dating or casually like monogamy. Uh, yeah. When you're monogamous, you're not poly, but you're just like dating people and Living. sleeping with them, um, you know, that you probably would stay the night. But I feel like that's, you know, that's, he definitely messed up with that. You know, he should have communicated that because that's like a big thing. And, you know, I know for you and I with sleepovers, like we, that isn't really something that we do. Mm. Um but like we're still really respectful, lovely, caring people, but that's something that we would communicate and have always communicated. Uh, we have had sleepovers. I have actually had a sleepover twice with a partner before, but um, I couldn't sleep. So <laughs> <laughs> like that was something that we were quite excited to experience. You were really excited for me to have a sleepover. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, you thought it was awesome. And I was laying there just staring at the ceiling being like, this is this is so different. <laughs> and uh, but in this situation, going back to this particular gentleman who who uh, who left at two a.m. in the morning, it is extremely difficult to be able to fully communicate 
all of uh, the potential rules that you may have with a partner or comfort levels. And maybe it, it had just not come up until that point. And then in that moment, he thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is actually, you know, this actually would be an issue. And I, I just have to, for him to remain ethical to his other partner, you know, he had to really communicate that to uh, the, the the writer that he had to he had to leave, and uh, you know uh, that 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 would have upset his other partner. Yeah, it's a tricky one. A lot of things and boundaries and limits and things you sort of come across them as they happen because there can be so many in this space. It's a really different uh, relationship terrain mm. um, to navigate through. So also having that understanding that yeah, it's not always about doing, you know, it's not about doing the wrong thing by somebody or, or hurting them. It's just, you know, sometimes things come up when they come up. Yeah. And going back to that, the part that I just read out, it says, play at your own risk. I'm not going to take any emotional responsibility for you. So that's kind of like the worst reading of, of someone using polyamory, looking at polyamory through the lens of, of it's actually just a negation of all <laughs> responsibility uh, to a partner. That's obviously a bad way to have a relationship within any relationship structure. You know, if a monogamous person was, was going to, to, to say, oh, just because I'm married, it means that, you know, I can treat you in a certain way. There's problems with that. Um, and it doesn't mean that monogamy, you know, has this gives you this shield that kind of protects you from all these you know emotionally laden uh problems uh th- that could happen and I, I think that the the interesting thing with this article is it kind of uh paints polyamory as this this way that people are using the word polyamorous as an excuse for just really poor behavior where that's just poor behavior it's not because they're polyamorous if they're in a monogamous relationship they probably be equally appalling. I agree. Yeah. The relationship structure does not determine um, whether things are ethical or not. It always comes down to the people. So I'm going to share that article in my Instagram stories. And I'm also going to share an article that came out in US Vogue uh, earlier this year. It's a beautiful article on non-monogamy and polyamory. It's really, I think it's one of the most well-written articles that I've read in sort of mainstream, like in a mainstream magazine about this. So I'll, I'll be sharing that one as well. So uh, two different perspectives on this. I can see that you're busting to say something. I do feel the need to say something because uh, I think it's important that any idea is able to, to be discussed openly and that the negative parts of the ideas can be discussed as well. And I think that it is good that this particular person who had this particular experience with polyamorous people, even though it seems to be an overwhelming negative, uh, a negative experience, and she interviewed other people within that article who did also have negative experiences, the experiences that they had were extremely valid uh, in terms of the way that people were misusing the word polyamory and those different things that come up. Uh, I think it was great that she did have the polyphilia, um, Leanne from Polyphilia, because uh, Leanne's a, a wonderful voice uh, on the benefits and the beautiful things that come out of um, polyamory. Uh, but uh, I think that the overall tone of the article was the thing that, <laughs> that, that really uh, kind of jumped out at us. And I think at a certain point, 
potentially and you know i'd love to you know maybe we should have the the, the writer of that article on the on the podcast she'd be a, she'd be a great person to interview but potentially she made the decision that the the way that uh, the article was going to land the best and the way that the article was going to be um so well received by her editors might have been to to really swing harder on the negative aspects of of polyamory and and how people are co-opting it. So yeah, it's it's interesting and and the the Vogue article in the American Vogue that you mentioned is a really beautiful and and just lovely uh kind of portrait of a really great example of polyamory. And because these topics are, are really only now being so widely widely discussed within the media, within um, social media, within different movies and uh, different cultural settings, uh, I think we are definitely very sensitive to positive depictions of uh, open relationships because that's something that we really believe uh, people should should be having discussions about and be having their mind opened to that type of thing. I agree. And I definitely feel sensitive when I read an article where the tone is basically, if anybody says that they're ethically non-monogamous or polyamorous, run for the hills. These people are saying this so that they can manipulate you and use you and not care about your feelings. Um, I think anybody who knows us knows that we're very much not like that at all. So yeah, we, we had to say something about the article and I'm so glad that we did. So yeah, stay tuned for my on my Instagram stories. I'll be putting those two articles up shortly once this podcast goes live. Okay, let's move into some of our questions. We've had uh, people writing in with things. I've also been doing some Q&As on the Instagram, which has been really fun, something mm. that I've really enjoyed. Uh, people writing in with their questions and I'm answering as um, openly and honestly as I can. And uh, one of the questions that comes in, that has come in a number of times on the Q&A and then also when we just submitted questions um, in the lead up to recording this podcast, um, is about sexual health. You know, are you worried about your sexual health uh, by being non-monogamous? Um, so we don't really talk about the intimate aspects of our um, connections with other people. This is more like a relationship uh, discussion. It's not really about uh, sex. Uh, but I do want to talk about this because it is something that comes up. So yeah, I will share a little bit about us. Uh, we do use uh, safer sex with partners who we're with. So, you know, barriers, condoms and whatnot. Um, you know, I will say that there is no such thing as safe sex. There's just safer sex. So that's always something that is very important to us. We also feel completely fine with having regular um, sexual health tests, you know, frequently. So, and I will say that, you know, it's incredibly important to do that. It's incredibly important to be transparent with sexual health. We need to, you know, pull out any shame around any, um, you know, sexually transmitted infections or whatnot. You know, it's like catching a common cold. Um, so people need, we, first of all, I think as a society, you know, being in a sex positive society, we need to really pull the shame and stigma out of that. That's really important. Um, another thing that I will say on this matter is, you know, sexual health testing is really important no matter what relationship structure that, that you're in. So, you know, I've you know, I'm, I really do hate to say it, but across different, um, you know, friends and people who I know who are in monogamous relationships, oftentimes an infidelity is discovered when all of a sudden somebody has 
an STI um, or an STD. So that is a way that uh, people often find out that something is happening. And I think there is a lot of um, people really don't, I think in a lot of monogamous relationships, people just stop getting tested. It's like they think because they're monogamous that they're um, somehow immune from catching anything. And, you know, I sometimes question how monogamous are people really because these things happen. So it's important for you as an individual, for your partner as an individual to just go and continue to do that. But it, but it is a tricky one, I think, in monogamous relationships because by even suggesting that maybe you should go and have a, a sexual health checkup can be like, a, but why would we need to do that? We don't need to do that. And I would always say to people, even if they're married to my female friends, just go and have a sexual health test. Just go and do it. So, also, if someone is, if your partner is actively fighting against themselves getting an STD check in a monogamous relationship, that's got to be a little bit of a of a red flag, surely. Because if 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 uh, if you're not doing anything wrong, there's no there's no issue in going to get a, a sexual health checkup. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we can raise a lot of a lot of uh, questions, and it really shouldn't. It should be, if anything, it should be validating to be able to go and have that test and. Yeah, so... It does remind me of that Ali Wong bit. Uh, I forget the exact STI that she references. Oh, I love Ali Wong. But she's she's basically... Is it chlamydia or... HPV. Oh, so she, her whole thing, I won't summarize a bit, but it's basically the, the essence of it is if you don't ha- have HPV, then you haven't really lived. So let's go to another question that was submitted to us. Uh, and this comes from someone who asked... How to invite someone open-minded but not experienced into the scene. So how does one invite uh, a partner who maybe has expressed interest in, in you know, exploring different things um, uh, but doesn't have much experience uh, into, into this world? Yeah, I would say talk, 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 talk and, you know, discuss everything. It's like, are they, you know, figure out what the motivations or the intentions are? Are they just open minded because, you know, why not? That's that's a valid reason. Are they wanting to try it out because, you know, maybe it's a cool thing? I feel like this is all trending at the moment, non-monogamy, sex parties, polyamory, you know, sexual sexually liberated experiences you know this is all becoming a, uh, much more normalized and as it trends um, but then once you actually make the decision to maybe just say you're going to go to an event together or maybe you're going to um, start engaging in some like group activity or dating people together you know for a slower more polyamorous type of situation you know, really talk about boundaries and intentions, uh, hopes. And uh, I guess one thing that I feel like with people who are maybe newer to the scene, I like to really gauge out. I mean, it's not really something that we've had to do for very long because I feel like most of our, most of the people that we're connected with, we tend to gravitate towards people who are a bit more experienced in this way. But if they're not, um, you know, things for me, I guess, making sure that they're not uh, they don't have like people pleasing behaviors. So people who are t- who are prone to people pleasing, they don't like to let other people down or they don't like to say no. For me, you know, they would have to do a lot of um, unlearning of that type of behavior because you really need to uh, know what you're 
know what your boundaries are, your limits are. Don't just go along with things for other people or because you like somebody because you don't want to be in a situation where you end up breaking your own boundary and then not feeling good about it later. So that always, um, you know, that doesn't feel good. So just to clarify, you mean the person uh, that is being brought into this new new kind of lifestyle or, or relationship? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean the new person. So, you know, and I feel like it's there are certain things like you don't have to have lots of experience in this space specifically, but you need to have experience with yourself. You need to have experience with knowing what you're into, knowing what you're not into, at least knowing what your boundaries are and taking things slowly. So never never rush. You don't have to rush with things. You don't have to go into full-blown polyamory straight away or you don't have to go to the sex party and do the craziest things on the night if you're a little, you know, a little bit nervous at first or anything like just go slow. There's just nothing wrong with being paced and erring on the side of caution. Mm. I think it starts on the with pillow talk as well. I feel like right before you go to sleep and you're having a little chat or you know maybe you're 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 pre getting getting things a little hot and steamy, those are the times where you can really kind of broach these these subjects initially, you know, just saying, you know, have you ever thought about this particular scenario or does this uh, really get you going or, or, or that type of thing? That's a really safe space to to be chatting about these potential, you know, just possibilities, not necessarily uh, something that's definitely going to happen, but does this turn you on or does that turn you on? And within a safe space, the partner might be like, wow, absolutely. Yeah, th- this is definitely something that I've, I've always thought about, but I've never acted you know, are you interested in that? And then you can, of course, your response can be, absolutely, I've also had these ideas and and this really gets me going. And then you find this beautiful common ground, even if it's only in fantasy uh, together, but then, you know, maybe then the discussions can happen. Well, how can we we make this a a reality? And honoring each other's boundaries when it when things are becoming a reality. And I feel like that's something that we've always done and which um, has been really important to us. And there have been times, you know, I remember years ago, um, I'm actually the one who might tend to break my own boundary with things because I get really excited um, in the moment or, um, you know, something that I might have been a little bit hesitant about once we're actually in the situation. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Let's blah, blah, blah. And then in the moment, you've actually been a person, you've actually been the person to be like, well, we actually discussed this and mm. even if it was going to be something that was going to be highly beneficial to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there have been moments uh, where uh, where I, I could have – it could have been very very beneficial uh, in a in a pleasure-seeking hedonistic sense. Yeah. But I've decided to that the boundary was more important in the longer term. Yeah. Whereas the, the short-term payoff would have been magnificent. But uh, I, I have no regrets. I know. And that in turn has always built our trust up for one another as well so you know I know like the next day at brunch I'd look at you and say oh that was actually really cool that you made sure you know we didn't um you know progress to that next step and you know because I had said that I wasn't quite ready for that so I'm really glad that you did even even though I changed my mind in the moment and all of this so yeah good on you babe okay so we received another really fantastic question and the question read I've been in an open relationship for over a year, but haven't dated outside of it. And I'm okay with it. Good on you. 
cool. Yeah, it's like not so much a question, more just a sharing. So I really like that. And I feel like this, a lot of this is a mindset and a way of being, you know, at the moment, I actually don't have another partner. So, Mm. you know, but I'm still, I would still identify as a non-monogamous person, uh, even though you are my partner at the moment. So, yeah, it's like an interesting one. I don't feel the need to always be dating people. I'm different at different I'm I'm my schedule is different you know it's like whatever allows and if connection is there I'm open to connection um I've you know definitely been connecting with a, a few newer people but I've just been incredibly busy and it's been hard to um you know progress to having a partner and I feel in no rush or need to do that so yeah well, I wonder whether this person, that they said that they haven't dated outside of their open relationship, but I wonder whether they've had experiences outside of their relationship sexually, but they've just decided not to kind of more formally date and have like a secondary partner or or, or something of, of that nature. Mm. Yeah, who knows? Mm. But also, you know, people might end up in a, it's called a, mono, a monopoly relationship where one person is... Um, open and the other person is not open Mm. and that's totally fine as well not everything needs to be balanced and equal people don't need to be dating the same you don't need to be keeping up with your partner and their dates or whatever is happening it's really just whatever feels right for you and whatever feels right for your partner and as long as you're both feeling you know happy and fulfilled Mm. it doesn't really matter What's happening? Yeah, I feel. There doesn't have to be a scoreboard of how many times you've had sex with someone else and, you know, your partner has. No, or having relationships and connection. You know, it's mm. like it's not always and it's not even always about sex or anything like that. It's like sometimes it can be about a companionship and a connection. You know, mm. I've been really busy lately, but there's somebody who I've gone on a number of dates with and they've just been, you know, and it was a while ago now, but they've just been like we went for a walk together and... We went for a brunch together and, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's, this is life. It's, you know, things come up, but yeah, back to the point of as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're dating a lot of people or barely anyone at all, or just nobody. So yeah, Yeah. for me, a lot of this is just the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's all particular. This is the the difficulty with labels and kind of looping back to the, the Vogue article, we, you, the best description of our relationship is probably that we're in an open relationship because we don't necessarily see ourselves as polyamorous. There's there's certainly relationships that could fall, that we have had with different partners that could fall into that label. Uh, but to, to use like broad strokes and say we are polyamorous, we, I don't think we're still 100% comfortable with, with even referring to ourselves as that, would you say? Yeah, honestly, I have no idea how to refer to myself, like what to refer to myself as. I'm just myself and we're in a relationship and everything is situational and we go with what feels really good and really positive. And yeah, sometimes that looks like polyamory. Other times it doesn't look like polyamory at all. And sometimes our relationship just looks very monogamous. So, Mm. yeah. But I feel open relationship is such a beautiful uh, descriptor because... Because we are open to connections, even if we're not 
having multiple connections at the time, we do, we are open to those things. Like if something amazing came along, um, you know, and you really wanted to explore a different connection with, with someone else, you know, you, you are open to that. And if your schedule, which is incredibly busy, uh, does permit it and life kind of aligns and the stars align and, and things are all working out, uh, then you are open to something like that. Yeah. I feel like you would really love that for me right now. Yeah, get amongst it. Get amongst it. I mean, the, the Google Calendar is looking pretty smashed at the moment, so uh, we've got to carve out some time. But but once the time is carved, it'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it'll be good. You're really, I think you're really missing me having that like new relationship energy mm. vibe about myself. Yeah, it's a strong, it's a strong, uh, it's a strong energetic pull. And it really feeds into our relationship and I, I do love that. And it's a it's a beautiful thing that I don't feel threatened by at all. So I'm I'm very encouraging of of uh you being in that that state of new relationship energy. It's really nice. I know. Oh, okay. Well, when things are less busy, watch out. Exactly. I'll get, be buzzing. Get amongst it. Get amongst it. Dopamine buzz. Well, someone, someone interestingly at, uh, at the conversation night, I was having a chat with someone in the break and they, they were talking about you know, the, the dangers of new relationship energy. And I feel like we could almost do a, a whole podcast on new relationship energy. We should. That's a great idea. Yeah. There we go. Thinking in real time. Uh, but I, I will say that uh, it's something that, that we do think about and we have discussed certainly within our relationship is whether there are you know, what are the negative side effects of, of new relationship energy or whether we're, we're chasing that new relationship energy or whether the new relationship energy has uh, kind of any negative impacts on our relationship. Um, and it is something that we talk about and, and it's something that I'm aware of. And then uh, someone within the conversation circle said, well, there's nothing wrong with, with just having these amazing dopamine hits all the time. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it comes down to how it's impacting the rest of your life. You know, it sort of comes down to life balance, family balance, you know, new relationship energy, that rush, that excitement, you know, that you're being in that reciprocal desire with somebody, you know, people who are in new relationship energy have a real um, spark to them. So, you know, a lot of wonderful things. And I wonder if worrying about new relationship energy being a negative all this and that comes from the fact that we are you know still living in a society where there's a lot of shame around actually having self-pleasure or having Mm. you know feeling good about yourself or desired you know if someone's in their flow you know everybody's quick to call somebody you know selfish or you know it's like unless you're fully devoting absolutely everything to everybody else you know, there can be a lot of shame around just having that pleasure. So, Mm. and maybe it's fine. I mean, I've never felt like new relationship energy has taken away from our connection to each other. It's always, it's always the opposite. It always brings us in because we're really upbeat and happy. A skip in the step. A skip in the step, Mm. you know, keen to go to the gym and go for a run and feeling really good and all of that is positive uh, lifestyle. Yeah, so maybe it is a hangover from monogamy conditioning that that uh, feeling too much new relationship energy, it's kind of like having your, your, the, the 
Eating your cake and having it all. What's that? What's that? <laughs> having your cake and eating it having, too. Having your cake and eating it too. It's like you, you have a, a really great <laughs> primary relationship, but you've also got this extra uh, frosty layer of uh, delicious new relationship energy. Um, and are you truly allowed to eat the whole cake? And we believe that uh, you should just eat as much cake just as possible, right? Just eat the cake. Like yeah. it's fine. You know, eat the cake. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think my only thing about that is... You know, I don't think people should necessarily become dependent on anything for any type of specific joy Mm. or buzz, you know. Um, And ultimately, you know, being able to have that motivation to, you know, be feeling alive and happy within yourself from self-love is like so important. So not feeling like it's dependent on other people, but... um, but then also feeling totally fine if you are in a new relationship energy flow and you're feeling really good about life. Like there's no downside about that. Like mm. it's okay to feel good. It's okay to feel good because you're feeling some desire and you're being desired. Mm. Doesn't make you this like narcissist, you know, everybody's calling everybody a narcissist these days and you know, it's okay to feel validated and feel desired and wanted. And we uh, really, it comes down to being seen. Like we want to be seen. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's bookmark that topic for potentially a whole podcast on, on uh, new relationship energy. I'd love to, to, to delve deeply into that as I well. I know. Let's get into it. We can also talk about how new relationship energy has changed for us over the years as well. Mm, so many things to think about. I feel like in the beginning it was like so intense. Yes. The novelty. Yes, the novelty indeed. The novelty knocked me over. Yeah, there was a lot of novelty. <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was full novelty bombing. It was love bombing, but novelty bombing as I well. I know. I think love bombing is like a red flag these days. So, yeah, yeah. I okay. guess I guess I was a red flag. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, I was a, a, a bull uh, at the red flag. <laughs> a bull in a china shop. No. Okay, we're going to continue this. Okay, we're going to continue this when we when we when I figure out uh, all the all the the analogies. I know exactly. So here is a question that was actually submitted uh, a little while ago when I did a Q&A on my Instagram, but we've wanted to talk about it on the podcast. I thought it was a really good question. The question is, how to step out of subconsciously wanting to be the one with new partners? Mm. Yeah, I think this is, we, we talked about monogamy conditioning before. I think this is a direct result of that. And it's, it's, it's closely tied in, I mean, in my belief, uh, it's closely tied in to, I guess, our relationship to the ego and wanting to feel that sense of like that boost of, of like, I'm better than everyone. I'm the only one that my partner needs. I'm the only one that my partner needs sexually, emotionally, intellectually. I can fulfill all my partner's desires, uh, and needs. Uh, and, and it really comes from that belief system. It does. This is that mononormative, uh, you know, discussion that we were having, you know, with Marie Twan on the last podcast episode, you know, we're talking about mononormativity and everything. It's, it's all the belief systems that come around with monogamy and it's so deeply ingrained. And it's definitely something that I've felt, um, at different times, the way that I deal with it, um, 
and I had it actually with a partner and we were in a lot of uh, new relationship energy together. He was really wonderful. We were sort of, I felt like we were in quite the early stages of our connection. And then he met somebody else and she was amazing. And, you know, her and I connected. It was all really great. Uh, But it did stir some feelings of like, oh, I thought we were having like our time and this and that. But the way that I deal with it is that even before, if I'm dating somebody and they might not be seeing somebody else, but it's just the two, you know, I'm with you, but I'm dating them as well. And they're not seeing another partner at that point, even though they don't have another partner, I immediately still think of myself as being their like secondary partnership. Mm. Because really at any moment, they could be able to meet somebody new, see them all the time, a lot more than how much time I'm able to offer them. And, you know, connection comes from contact. It comes from seeing one another, being a part of each other's lives, going to different things with friends or events or dinner and stuff. So I already know that, you know, with other partners of mine that at a certain point, we're going to hit a bit of a ceiling because I actually can't see them that often. So it's easier for me to think of myself as a secondary partner, even if they're single. And then when they get another partner, uh, it's not so much of a shock for me. And I guess it does come down to a sense of perhaps possessiveness over a partner, you know, their experiences. I think that we can often get into a situation where when you have this intense new relationship energy, you feel like all of the, the, the great feelings that they're feeling are a direct result of what you were giving to them. And it does feel like there could be that, that sense of possessiveness that creeps in that may be a direct result of the impacts of monogamy and, and the way that we're brought up um, viewing that as the, the, the main relationship structure or construct. Uh, but just really acknowledging, it's almost a sense of having compersion for your partner and their uh, relationships outside of the relationship that you have with a potential partner or your 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 current partner it's really cultivating that sense of ideally you know if they're if they're receiving joy from other people that's a beautiful thing if they're receiving support from other people if they're having these amazing experiences with other partners assuming the fact that they will then bring these really positive experiences and how they're feeling into the relationship that they have with you. You know, if if another person that you're dating is really happy because they've just done this amazing big camping trip with one of their partners and they come back and they're feeling all invigorated from that, they will bring that energy into the connection that they have with you in an ideal world. Yeah, for sure. Interesting about this feeling compersion for newer partners as well. I feel like we could even do another podcast on this because I will say that in my experience with newer partners, for me, there actually has been, there's a little bit like less compersion. And I think it's because I don't, for me to feel a lot of compersion, I need to feel really safe and secure within the relationship. So that's like an interesting one too. I feel like with new partners have to like really... um, go out of my way to like cultivate it a little bit more, put in a bit more effort. I don't know. What mm-hmm. do you think? Well, then it's a question of how t- to go about cultivating that uh, and whether it is a sense of just feeling more secure within the relationship and whether that's something that you can feel by yourself 
uh, and just reframing different things or whether that's something that your partner has to to give you that sense of, of secure attachment. Like they have to verbally express that to you or they have to do things that, that make you feel really secure. Like is it something that comes from within you or is it something that's a direct result of, of something that a partner could do to make you feel really secure to kind of increase those those feelings of, of, of compersion about their other relationships. So these are all these are all interesting questions. Thank you so much, everybody. Please stay tuned for the next instalment of the Evolving Love Project podcast. Please check out our Patreon. Please send us a message via Instagram. Oh, and one other thing I want to say, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you've been enjoying the podcast. Um, I think if we get more uh, reviews or ratings or something, we will be easier to find. That is how the algorithm works. Indeed, you are correct. And uh, it would be fantastic if you've made it this far in the podcast, if you've made it through all one hour of us having a yarn about uh, non-monogamy, we would really uh, appreciate your support in leaving a, a comment and leaving a nice star rating. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.